Mark, thanks Barb for helping us worship in song. To the praise and glory of our great God. Why? Because he is the one who saves. There is no other who can save. Only our great God through his son Jesus Christ and the work on the cross of Calvary that he accomplished. We do want to, again, welcome those who are visiting. Welcome back to those who were away on vacation. Uh, trust that you are now back and refreshed. Um, but it's good to have Pastor Greg with us. Uh, Tennessee still? Where? Kansas. Kansas, that's right. Still staying in Kansas? I heard maybe some rufflings about someplace else. No? Still in Kansas, all right. Good to have Pastor Greg. He was here with us a year ago, Joseph's pastor uh, from when he served down there in Kansas. Derek, nice to have you with us as well. And Brad and Julie, uh, great to see you with us this morning. Trust that you are going to be encouraged as we continue worshiping our great God this morning. Let me encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures, uh, even though the stuff will be up on the screen. We always like to encourage you to open up God's word uh, so you know that what we're talking about comes from the pages of scripture and not from someone or something. Somewhere else, all right? So, Psalm 18, we're not going to look at the whole psalm this morning, just part of it, but we're going to continue our thoughts and our, our, our mindset on David this morning. Uh, we looked last week because we're kind of in between series. We finished up our series in 1 Peter. We're going to move on into something else uh, uh, later on in the summer, but we're going to do some things thinking about the Psalms. Siri likes to stick her nose in sometimes, doesn't she? All right. But anyway, so we're going to take a look this morning at this amazing passage of Scripture written by, uh, as we said last week, a man after God's own heart. What does that mean, a man after God's own heart? certainly does not mean that he was perfect, right? Because we know that David had some major setbacks, some major sin issues in his life, but God still used him. God restored him. God still called him a man after his own heart. Why? Because he was seeking the things of God, and they were number one in his life. So this morning, uh, we're going to kind of carry on from where we were last week when we talked about having big problems. You know, we we face problems in our lives. We face difficulties. uh, And sometimes we get our attention off of our great God and on those difficulties. And when we do that, the struggle only increases. It only gets worse as we focus on the problem rather than focusing on our God. This morning, we're going to take a look at um, King David's mindset, if you will. How was it that he could focus on God even though he had tremendous things going on in his life? This psalm gives us a glimpse into the mindset that helped David journey through life. Not only does this psalm tell us about David's mindset, but it also talks about how God expects you and I to make this journey. It's not an easy journey, okay? Um, Some country singer from long ago said, I never promised you a rose garden. God never promised us an easy life. He never promised us that rose garden. But he did promise to go with us every step of the way. No matter where we find ourselves, we know that God is with us. Now, as we get started this morning, I want to take you to a couple of other psalms before we settle down in Psalm 18. These psalms that we're going to just briefly look at will help us see the mindset that we're talking about uh, and that it was a characteristic of David, not just a once-off thing that he kind of settled on for a brief moment in his life, but it's what carried him through his entire life. 
First of all, in Psalm 64, verses 1 through 4, David says this, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Verse 3 says, For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. Remember, we talked about that word selah last week. um, And I asked if anybody knew what that word meant. And nobody raised their hands. And I said, you're in good company. Because nobody really knows what that word means. But what we think it means is that we think it means that we should slow down, we should stop and think and ponder about what we have just read. So what did David say here? He said, first of all, when my heart is overwhelmed, when I feel like there's nothing else I can do, no place else I can turn to, no one else I can cry out to help for, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. The rock that is so much greater, so much higher than me. And as we are at the rock, there's some things that we can reflect on. We can be reminded of the fact that God is and always has been a shelter for us. A shelter in the time of storm, a shelter in the time of intense heat, a shelter in our lives, no matter what we need, God is there to shelter us. He also says that he's been a strong tower from the enemy. Now, this idea of a tower is not just a a tall spire, but it's a place of refuge. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. And he says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. In other words, David wants to worship. He wants to enjoy his God, not just on the prescribed day, but all the time, every day of his life. And then he says, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Now, you have to realize that God is bigger than any bird that we've ever seen. Okay, now birds, uh, when, when the bigger the bird, the bigger the shadow, right? But God's shadow is all-encompassing. And we can rest under the shadow of our great God's wings. So as we stop and we think about the things that are going on in David's life, He wants God to hear our plea, hear our cry when we cry out to him. Even when it seems like we are overwhelmed and things are more difficult than we can handle, God is there. Last week we said that God is for us, means he has our back. Over in Psalm 144, verses 1 1 and 2, David wrote this, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. Did you catch those metaphors there from the pen of David? He says that God is his rock. What is a rock? It's a place of refuge. It's a place of strength. It's a place that isn't going anywhere. You can anchor to the rock and know that no matter what happens, you are safe and secure there. He says, you are my fortress. It's a place that the enemy cannot take. Enemy cannot get to you in the fortress. It's a stronghold. When life gets overwhelming and things get difficult, we need a stronghold. David discovered, David knew that Jesus, God, was his stronghold, his fortress, He says, you are my high tower. Again, this idea of a tower. It's a place where one can find security, but not only security. You know what else it provides for us? It provides hope. A place of hope. 
David finds his hope where? In his God, in the Lord. My deliverer, the Lord is the one who will deliver me even when it seems there is no way out. When it seems like I'm hemmed in all around and I can't get out, God is there to deliver me. When a warrior like David needed a place of refuge, you know how bad things were in his life. God, I need refuge. I need hope. Because David was a man who, in a lot of ways, he could take care of himself. From a human perspective, he didn't need anyone. I mean, he beat the biggest, the baddest, and the worst. And yet, he cries out to his God, and he says, God, in myself, I'm not sufficient. I need you. I need you to be my all-sufficient place of safety and security. Finally, in Psalm 18, I referred to this psalm last week, but did not read the text that we're going to look at this morning. So I want you to stand with me as we read Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. Uh, This is our text for this morning, again, from the pen of David. Are you guys getting some echo? Because I'm getting some echo. Okay, all right, I'll I'll, I'll deal with it. (laughs) So Psalm 18, thanks, Timothy, 1 through 3. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. For the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies." Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for David. We thank you for the life that he lived. We thank you that you include for us in the passages, in the pages of Scripture, uh, the good and the bad about this man named David. Uh, you remind us that he is a man who, is, uh, who strived to follow you, to love you, to serve you. He set an example for us. And Father, may we be like David, and, and, and when we've sinned, may we confess that sin, may we strive and seek to have our relationship with you restored, and when we are walking with you and enjoying your blessing, may we give you credit, may we worship you, may we praise you, may we adore you for the God that you are, the one true God, the only God, the God who provides safety, a God who provides hope, a God who provides all that we need for life and to become godly people. Bless our time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So as we begin looking at this psalm this morning, I, I, first of all, I wanna point out the title of the psalm to you. It's quite a long title and it really sets the tone for the entire psalm. It's this, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that, get this, the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Wow. Now, we talked last week about how David had a long list of enemies. There were a lot of people who didn't like David. Okay, David had, uh, had a history, had a track record of building up a list of people who didn't appreciate the things that he did, the things that God did through him. So if David were to make a list of his enemies, it would take him a while to do that. But David says, you, God, have delivered me on this day from the hand of all my enemies, and it's interesting that he says, from the hand of Saul. He didn't call Saul his enemy. 
I wonder why. I, I think we probably would have. I think maybe it goes back to the fact that David said that Saul was God's anointed. And he said, I will not raise my hand against the anointed of God. I will leave my case in God's hands and let God work out all of those problems. He realized that he needed to, um, as much as possible, submit to the leadership of King Saul at that time because Saul was God's appointed ruler. But David says, God, you've delivered me from all of my enemies. You've delivered me from King Saul, and I want to give you praise. I want to give you honor. I want to give you glory. I want to worship you with my heart and with my life because of what you have done. So as we stop and think about David's life uh, at the beginning of our time together this morning, um, the title of the psalm tells us when it was written, and it tells us that God delivered him from his enemies. What do you think? Who, who were David's enemies? Shout out some of the enemies that you know David had. The brothers of Goliath, okay? Goliath, you know, is that big mammoth man that came out and mocked the God of Israel who said, you know, if you, if you send out a man to fight with me uh, and whoever wins, will, the other will become the servant of the, of, of the, king that, of the battle that wins. And, and you know what? We're going to win. So if you guys want to give in right now, it's okay. You can do that. Um, and he made light of who God is. And David was there, not by chance, not by, not by circumstance, but by God's appointed desire and plan for the people of Israel. David heard him mock the God of Israel, the one true God. And he says, who is this big mouth guy? Who does he think he is? Who, he can't talk about my God like that. And so David said, I'll go fight him. Knowing that it wasn't David fighting, but it was God fighting through David. So David went out with his slingshot and his five stones and he killed Goliath by the strength and power of God and it was God that directed that rock, not David's good aim, by the way. God sent that rock right between the eyes of Goliath and down he went and David went and chopped off his head and Israel won the battle and they kind of had a little bit over the Philistines after that. But Goliath's brothers were out to get him. They were after him. They were his enemies. Who else? What other things were in David's life that David might be giving thanks for here? Philistines? Yep, Philistines in general. Saul? Yep. Anyone else? What about his own family? guy by the name of Absalom? His son wanted to take the throne away from him? David had lots of enemies. He said, Pastor, why are we taking time for this? Well, it's good for us to stop and think about the enemies that God has delivered us from. The difficulties that God has given us victory over. Maybe you're in a difficult time right now. It's good to know that God delivers his people from the struggles that they face in life. So can I tell you this? Not from my experience. Well, from my experience, yes. But more importantly, from the pages of scripture. If you're in a struggle right now, if you're, if you're battling with something... God's going to give you victory. Now, let me tell you, the victory might not look like the victory you want, but it will be victory. God will give you victory over the things that you face in life. Why? Because he said so. He is our deliverer. He is our defender. The list of David's enemies could go on and on and on, and you could share with us this morning the struggles that you're facing. But can I encourage you to bring these things before your great God, before our great God? And know and trust and believe that he will give you victory. That's what David did. 
And let me encourage you that it's good for you to share the struggles that you're facing with your church family because then we can pray for one another. We can pray that God will give victory and deliverance and, and hope and help. And sometimes he will raise up right from within our church family the help that you need. But if we don't know that there's help needed, we can't help. So please don't be shy about sharing the things that you face in life. David's life was not easy. Your life may not be easy, but understand this. David kept his focus where it needed to be. You and I must keep our focus in the same place. And Psalm 18 verses 1 through 3 reveal what that focus needs to be. So let's dig in. There's a wealth of information to see. Uh, it's a little bit like a gold mine here, Psalm 18 is. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. First of all, how do we face the struggles we face in life? Well, like David did, we must have a grateful attitude. We see in verse 1, David's gratitude. David's gratitude. He says here, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I will love you, okay? Um, I learned something as I studied this psalm, that only twice in all of the psalms does the psalmist say that he loves the Lord, okay? He says a lot that God loves him, the Lord loves him, but here in Psalm 18 is one of two times that David cries out and says, I love you, Lord. Over and over again, we see that God loves his children, but only twice did David express his love. I wonder if we sometimes forget to do that as well. I wonder if we should maybe make it a point to increase the amount of times that we tell God we love him, how grateful we are for him. And don't just love him for the things he does, but love him for who he is, okay? We love him because of who he is, because who he is prompts him, causes him to do the things that he does in our lives. He is a good God. He is a great God. He is a loving God. He is an awesome God. And all of those things that he does is based on who he is and nothing to do with who we are. So love, David says, I love you. Out of sheer appreciation for who God is and what God has done, David says, I love you. You know, people long to hear those words, I love you. And some people don't hear them very often in this lifetime. David wants to make sure that God knows he loves him. God longs to hear those words from us, that we love God. I love you, God. And then just go on to tell him why you love him. You know, sometimes I'll tell my wife, I love you, and then she'll say, why? You laugh. And then I have to tell her why I love her. We can't just say, God, I love you, and just leave it there. God, I love you because. God, I love you. This is why I love you, God, and, and on and on. And that, you know what that is? That's your worship time with God. That's a personal, private, blessed time that you have with your God. Love here is a word that means many things, and, and it's a rather unique expression of the word. It refers to compassion as a deep mother's compassion, as a love that a mother has for her children. David's gratitude to the Lord leads him to a place where he determines to demonstrate his passion for the Lord, who is the very source of his strength. David realizes how much God cares for him, how much God does for him, how much compassion God has for him. And because of that compassion, David says, God, I love you back. I love you too. I love you, Lord. 
Who is this Lord? Again, we see this name for God that it means the covenant-keeping God. David is expressing his passion for his God that has made a covenant with him. What was that covenant? God promised David land, seed, and blessing. He promised that God, he promised David that he would give him the land of his fathers, that he would give him a, a, a seed on his throne forever, and they, the nations of the world would be, would be blessed through him. Very similar to the promise that he made to Abraham, because David is now carrying out that promise that was given to Abraham. David was given a promise by his great God, in fact, a covenant promise. And guess what? When God makes a promise, he keeps the promise. We're waiting still for some of those promises that were made to David to be fulfilled. They have not yet been fulfilled, but can I tell you this? They will be. They will be. I won't tell you to hold your breath because if you would, uh, you might not make it because a lot of people have been holding their breath for a long time for God to fulfill these promises. And you know what? In God's timing, when it is absolutely perfect and right, he will fulfill the promises made to his nation Israel. He will literally fulfill those promises. There are a whole host of religious beliefs that tell us that God is fulfilling them through this or through that, or at some point, you know, you know he doesn't really need to fulfill them literally. Yes, he does. God made literal promises to a literal man about a literal geographical location. If he doesn't fulfill them, then he can't be God. That's how important that is. God will fulfill the promises. You can believe it, and you can even stake your life on it. God made a promise, a covenant with David, and David knew it, and David was holding on to that promise, and that's what kept him going through life. He could carry on because he knew of the faithfulness of his Lord, his God. He says, oh Lord, my strength. This word means to be made strong. David wasn't strong in himself. David knew that he was a shepherd boy who God took from caring for the sheep and made him king over Israel. He made him the shepherd of the nation of Israel. What an amazing thing to take. And you got to realize the shepherds were nothing important. In those days, David took a man like, or God took a man like David and made him the king of all Israel. So David's strength was in the Lord, and this strength made him confident, not in who he was, but in who his God is. David knew that the Lord would make him strong day after day after day after day because that's the covenant keeping God that David served. And can I tell you this? that he is the same covenant-keeping God that you and I serve today. The God of David is just as much my God and your God as he was David's God. And David's God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have this great God that we serve, and this great God prompted in David's mind a heart and attitude of gratitude. As we move on to verse 2, we see David's God. We move on from David's gratitude to David's God. Who is David's God? Well, verse 2, can I? it's jam-packed full of theology. And you know what? In theology, there's different breakdowns of theology. We're going to call this practical theology. That's what we see here in verse 2, practical theology. In this verse, we learn much about David's God. And if we're learning it about David's God, it's true about our God as well. David's God is our God, and we who have repented and trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior through the work of Christ on the cross, 
we can call him my God. My God. Because it's personal. It's a personal relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Who is David's God? Well, we've talked about it a little bit already. David's God is his rock. He says, you are my rock. Now, again, let me remind you that this rock is a mountain fortress. It's a place of seclusion and protection. Sometimes people just need to get away, right? We're going to do that this week. We're going to go see Barb's mom and dad, and then we're going to spend a couple days in Pittsburgh just doing nothing. Not really in a place of seclusion. Hopefully we don't need too much physical protection. But anyway, we are going to get away to a place just just by ourselves. We won't know anybody. We won't know really what to do. We're just going to go. David says that God is my place of seclusion. David is a place where I can go and nobody can touch me. Nobody can get to me. Nobody can get at me. David was familiar with many places like this. He used them when he was on the run from Saul. When God is our rock, know this, you have nothing to fear. There's great comfort in knowing the certainty and the security of the rock. There's a song called, My Feet, is on, My Feet Are on the Rock. I think they capture the idea that David is thinking about here. It goes like this, I can see the clouds roll in. I can feel the wind as they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. I can feel the waters rise. I can hear the howling lies that haunt me. Fear won't hold me now. My feet are on the rock. When I feel my hope about to break, I will cling to your unchanging grace. Let the waters come and the earth give way. I'll be dancing in the rain. Why? Because my feet are on the rock. I can see you in the morning light. I can feel the joy on the horizon. Here my faith is found. I stand on solid ground. There is no more solid ground to stand on than the fact that God is my rock and my redeemer. David says, you are my rock. He also says to God, he says, you are my fortress. The idea of the fortress is, you are my shelter from the enemy. The place that protects much like a rock just described is true for us as well. The Bible Knowledge Commentary puts it this way. It says, rock and fortress, they picture a high place of refuge and defense to which one might flee for protection. To take refuge in the Lord is far better than hiding in a man-made fortress or a huge rock. Our fortress is not in an animate object but it's in a perfect, powerful God. That's where, our, that's where our fortress is, in our God. He says, you are my deliverer. This word means to cause an escape or to allow one to slip away. I think most of us enjoy reading the accounts of how God delivered David again and again and again. I mean, some, some of the things that God delivered David from when he was sitting there playing his harp for King Saul, and an evil spirit came upon King Saul, and all of a sudden his demeanor changed, and he picked up a spear while David's playing the harp, and he threw it at him. David had no way to protect himself, but God protected him. When David was uh, on the run, and he was surrounded, remember when he, when he was um, 
he was talking to the high priest Elimelech, and he said, I, I need food, and I, 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 need, I need a sword. I don't even have a sword. I left in such a hurry, I don't even have a sword. And, and by some chance and circumstance, not really, Doeg, the servant of Saul, comes along to the high priest Elimelech, uh, and, and he finds out where David is, and Elimelech says, no, you need to get out of here, go on. And so David flees again. But again, even in that, where, you know, all things pointed to a certain capture for David. He slipped away. How? Why? Because God. God was watching out for him. God was looking over him. God was taking care of him. God is the deliverer of King David. Uh, God is our deliverer as well. If God can deliver David, he can deliver you and I, no matter what it is we're facing. He says, you are my strength in whom I trust. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, you are my sure, unchanging, eternal confidence and support. You know, people talk about needing a support system. God is it. God is that support system. Because God has proven himself to be our strength. He has earned our trust. You can trust God no matter what. Olson has a a nice um, devotional commentary on the Psalms. He says this, The difference between struggling and trusting is the difference between Christianity and religion. I love it. The difference between struggling and trusting is the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion's watchword is do, but Christianity's gospel is done. God's work has done it. It's finished. It's complete. David says, you are my shield. This shield was the small shield that the warrior took into battle with him. It provided personal safety in the battle. Yes, they had the big shields that other people carried, but sometimes those shields failed. Maybe the person carrying the shield ahead of them was, was, was killed. And so now all you have is this this personal shield that you hold on your arm. But you know what that shield did? It protected all your vital organs. And if you held it close and you could move it well, nothing could get at your vital organs. You might get cut on the arm or the leg or something like that, but you were protected. Your vital organs were protected. David says, God, you are the one that protects the very things that need to be, that must be protected. You are my safety. It's a vital piece of armor. This shield was what the warrior depended on to protect himself from the darts and the swords used in hand-to-hand combat. And my friends, that's when combat gets real. When it gets hand-to-hand, when it's face-to-face. When you're doing battle against the enemy and it's face-to-face, you need God. You can't do it on your own. David knew that. And he says, God, you are my shield. He also says that you are the horn of my salvation. Now, we know what the horns on an animal symbolize, right? They, that's the strength of the animal. When, when you see two buck going at it in the, in the woods over a doe or over a community of does, the one with the biggest rack is going to win, most likely. Animals that go to battle against each other, what do they do? They, they, they hit heads and they rack horns. What a sight that is sometimes to see those animals just going at it. And the one, when, his, when his horn breaks, you know what he does? He slinks off to go find someplace else to be if he, if he survives the attack. David says, God, you are the horn of my salvation. Here's another thought. When a person grabbed onto the horns in the, of the altar, they were safe from their attacker. They may be guilty of what they did, but when they could get to the, the, the temple and they could grab onto the horns of the altar, the attacker could not do them any harm. 
So David is saying, God, you are the horn of my salvation. When I grab onto your horn, God, I know no one and nothing can harm me. You are my protector. You are the one who gives me strength, who gives me hope. You are the horn of my salvation. You are a sure protector from the wages of sin. Paul wrote in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Salvation, the horn of my salvation. And then he says, you are my stronghold. This again is a high tower. uh, And we might think of it as a lookout. We can think of the stronghold actually as a strategic place. A place to gain strength, encouragement, rest, even momentum to move forward. I love the, the prophet Nahum, and Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. I thought J. Vernon McGee had some good insight here. He said, A high tower is also a good place for protection and a good place to get a vision and a perspective on life. Many of us need to go to the high tower. We need to go and let God renew our vision, renew our hope, and renew our strength. But do you see in this passage here, in verse 2, all the things that David says God was to him? The key is that David said, God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my deliverer. This word my shows possession. It means that there's a relationship. God is only all these wonderful things to those that are rightly related to him through Jesus Christ. When we are related to him, we can expect him to be our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. What a great God we serve. Uh, he's, He's awesome. And we tell him that over and over again. But knowing these things, David didn't stop there. This prompted David to set a goal in his life. So let's see in verse three, David's goal. He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. His first goal is to call upon the Lord. And again, we see the importance of a relationship. Only those who are his can call upon him. If you're not one of God's, you can call on him, but God is under no obligation to hear you or to answer your prayer. I think I've illustrated this before. Uh, when our kids were in school and they'd come to me the morning before uh, the morning of school and they'd say, hey, dad, I need whatever to buy a book or I need lunch money or I need whatever. And if somebody else came to me and said, hey, Mr. Mowers, uh, can you help me out? I need money to buy a book. I used to teach Bible in the, in the, in the high school in, in Tableview. And, and if one of the kids came to me and my son came to me and said, Dad, I need, and the kid said, I need, who am I going to give it to? I'm going to give it to my son, especially if I only have that amount of money in my pocket. I'm going to take care of my son because we have a relationship. I know this other kid, but I'm not indebted to him. I don't owe him anything. I love my son and I want to meet his needs, so I'm going to give to my son. God loves us. He's going to give to us the things that we need. He's going to meet our needs. My Lord, my God, I will call upon you, the covenant-keeping God. Notice this call is not necessarily a call for help, but you know what this call is? It's a call to celebrate God's work in your life. When we call upon God, certainly we call upon him sometimes for help, but we also need to call upon him to celebrate who he is. It's good to celebrate. I won't go there. You know what's going through my mind, but I won't go. I'm going to resist it. 
It's good, though, to celebrate the things that God is blessing in your life with. It's good to celebrate the goodness of God in your life. Take time. Think about those things. We sing a song, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Have you ever done that? You need to. Because when, you st- when life is going bad and things are weighing down on your heart, if you stop and count your blessings, it's amazing how, how much God picks up your spirit. And again, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Because of what God has done in your life. I will call upon the Lord. I will celebrate my God. That relationship is there and we have every reason and every right to celebrate who God is and what he does. He says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. You know what this is? This is worship. This is David worshiping his God. Now, we've said before, worship is declaring the worth of another, and David is crying out the magnificence of his great God. I think David may have actually been rehearsing many of the trials and difficulties he's faced in life, and as he declared these attributes of God, he was thanking God for the victory and for the protection that God gave to him. As he thought about God's protection and deliverance and faithfulness, he couldn't help but cry out in praise to God for all that God has done. We're rejoicing with Victor and the fact that he's going to be released from prison and and, and we're trusting that God is going to use him to do great things in the place where God puts him. Wherever that might be. Right now, temporarily, it's going to be in Pennsylvania. His goal is to come back here to be able to uh, be involved in his daughter's life and his family's life and just to make a difference there for the cause of God. That's what he's hoping for. And as we see those things unfold in his life, we want to rejoice with him. I know he's going to rejoice. He's going to praise God. You know, I don't get to talk to him very often, but whenever Scott's uh, around and he's talking to Victor, he always comes over and Victor and I have a short conversation. What a blessing it is to see his excitement and his exuberance for the things of God. Has his life been easy? Nope, hasn't been. But God is delivering him, no matter what. When we and I think about the protection and deliverance and faithfulness of our God, it should prompt us to praise Prompt us to worship. In fact, is there anybody that wants to praise God this morning for something that God is doing in your life right now? Make it quick. Wanda. For God's interaction with her, the way he speaks to her and helping her to endure. That's coming from somebody who needs to endure. Okay? We rejoice with you, Wanda, over, over God's activity in your life. Something else. Colleen. I praise God that Wanda and Mike were actually able to be here today. Amen. Amen. Praising God that the Petrellas could join us today. It was their goal, as it is almost every Sunday morning. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But can we say, to God be the glory? Yeah, we can. Someone else. Praises. Jody. All right, for the Holy Spirit prompting and convicting and bringing Jody to a place where he understood his need of a relationship with God. Scott. Amen.
Amen. Yeah. Praise, Praise the Lord. Right. Yvonne. Don't you love that word? Long suffering. If you, if you switch it around, it means suffer long. God is never quick to get upset with his children. Sam. Good example that dad is setting. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Barry. Praise the Lord. His word. Yeah. That's right. Barry says, praise God for his word. And the Holy Spirit who helps us understand his word. Uh, You're right, Barry. God has given us everything we need to know. Paul told Timothy, everything that pertains to life and godliness is in the cover, in between the covers of this book. And if we want to know what God is, who God is, what he's doing in our lives, we read the book. We don't need anything else. We don't need any extra revelation because all we need is right here in the book. Anyone else? Cindy. The blessing of his great love. Yeah. We haven't even come, we haven't even been able to understand that great love, but what we do understand about it is truly a blessing. Did you have something? Amen. Technology. It's great when it works. And Charlie would put exclamation points after that, by the way. Probably five or six of them. Amen. Yeah. Isn't it nice when you have the opportunity to rekindle friendships from long ago? Derek's sitting here this morning as a child of God because of the seeds that they planted. Uh, To God be the glory for uh, individuals who willingly communicate God's love and truth to others. There's so many things that we can praise God for. I don't want to cut anybody out, but if if you don't have anything else, we'll move on. David says, you are worthy to be praised. He certainly is, and thank you for praising him this morning with us. And so he goes on, the last thing he says, so shall I be saved from my enemies. To be saved means to be given a covering, a place of protection, a place of hope. David had witnessed God's faithfulness 
over and over and over again. And because he witnessed God's faithfulness, he is absolutely certain of God's continued faithfulness. He knows that God will remain faithful day in and day out. So David confidently proclaimed his protection and his safety that only his God can provide. You and I have that same covering, covering from our great God, that come whatever may in our lives, God will protect us. Now here's this. We may die in that protection. This life may come to an end, but that doesn't mean God failed. That means God just says, come on home. I'm ready for you. I want you to be with me now. So God's covering is not just a here and now on this earth kind of a covering. It's an eternal covering that says, whatever happens, you are mine and you will be with me for all of eternity. Man, we serve a great God. What more can be said about who our God is and what he has done in our lives? Our troubles may be big. Maybe you're here again this morning with a big trouble that's weighing down on your heart. But like we said last week, God is bigger. That saying, maybe you've heard it before, nothing is going to happen today that God and I can't handle. Emphasis on God, not on me. God will see me through no matter what happens. After seeing what David wrote here in Psalm 18, we can understand that this emphasis, it's all about God. Why? Because God is my rock, God is my fortress, God is my deliverer. All that I need comes from the hand of our great God. David knew it, you know it, I know it, and that should bring us to the same confidence that David had, to the same comfort that David had. It should be the same for you and I, that we have hope and comfort that nothing can shake us and nothing can move us because of our great God. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for who you are. You are a God who definitely deserves all of our worship, all of the glory that we can heap upon you, all of the praise, all of the honor. We we can't do it enough. In fact, I'm convinced, Father, that's why we're going to have to have new bodies when we get to heaven. Not only are are these sin-cursed bodies going to be a thing of the past, but in order to worship you the way we need to, the way we ought to, the way you want us to worship you, we can't do them in these bodies. We can't do that in these bodies. So we thank you, Father, for the eternal promise of being in your presence one day forever and ever and ever. Praising you, worshiping you, glorifying you uh, right alongside of so many other people who have countless reasons to bring glory to our great God. Thank you, Father, for your, uh, your presence in our lives. We know sometimes we face difficulties, and there may be people here this morning that are facing struggles, that are facing difficulties, that, that they may not even know where to turn next, what to do next. Where, where, how do I handle this, God? I just don't know. But when we trust in you and we rely on you, we know that your deliverance will come. It may not be what we were thinking for, it may not be what we were hoping for, but we know that it will be your deliverance. And God, if it is your deliverance, we know that it is what is right and what is best for us. Thank you for being the God that you are. Loving, caring, merciful, gracious, so many things that we could remember about who you are. We're just grateful to be part of your family. Thank you for making us part of your family. All because of Jesus, and in his name we pray. Amen.